that we have shared. There's so much that has been said on this continuing study that we are holding. We are conducting a study and holding a study on the rapture of the church and the requisite preparedness of the rapture, of the church for the rapture. And so much has come out. There is so much that we have seen come out in this continuing study. Um, we talked about the book of Malachi. The Lord has narrowed down to the church in Odyssey. If we have time, we'll be able to look at the message, the circular, the letter that the Lord wrote to the other churches too, the church in Ephesus, um, the church in Sardis, and all the other seven, the seven churches total, all the other six churches. But for now, we've narrowed down on the church in Odyssey, and we saw how the Lord resents a lukewarm church, a church <clears throat> that is not uh, on fire in, in the flames of the Holy Spirit. And we saw that the Lord prefers a church that has been set ablaze, the church in flames with the Holy Spirit guiding her, talking to her. And so at one point, I looked at the extinguishers of fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit, the blockers or the extinguishers of fire in the church. And on that day we read from the book of Malachi, chapter 1, and we saw very clearly that the Lord was engaging the church, who was engaging Israel, and the message that came from there to the church. The Lord was telling Israel about his love and they were contesting him and I said that uh, part of the problem what really makes um, what makes the fire of the church be extinguished most of the time is this human wisdom that comes in this rebellion that sets in the rebellion that you see began in the Garden of Eden and contestation, contesting God, arguing with God. And I say that that becomes a big impediment, a big problem to the church. That becomes the main stumbling block to the church. That the church that is ablaze with the fire of the Holy Spirit is the most desirable church we saw. But as we were looking at the blockers, the things that block fire, extinguishers, extinguish the fire of the church. We read from Malachi chapter 1, and in that scripture we saw that the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, and in that chapter 1, I said to you that the prophet Malachi, Haggai, and Zechariah we are dealing with the same situation, except that Malachi comes in when they are settled already. They have built their homes, the temple is built, and so there is temple sacrifice already on. But the type of temple sacrifice they were offering reflected the decay, the corruption that had eaten into the hearts of the Israelites. We saw that the temple was already built, and that they had also built their homes. Because this is post-exile. After the 70 years of exile in Babylon, when they came back, they came back from Babylon with great expectation. They had seen the consequence of sin, of disobeying the Lord, you know. So they came back to rebuild their lives, build, rebuild their cities, rebuild their land. And so when the temple was already rebuilt, their homes were now rebuilt, they were now settled. And then temple sacrifice began. And the temple sacrifice offered was without honor. We saw that very clearly. And we say that the same thing is happening in this present day age, where you see that, um, that the church does not care, does not care about the kind, the quality, and the kind of sacrifice she's offering unto the Lord. 
So the temple sacrifice then also was without honor. And the Lord then cries out to them. The Lord says, but if I am a father to you, where is the honor due me? And there is that continuous contestation, the argument with the Lord, which is very synonymous with what you see today. We saw that when you look at the life of the present day believer, you can tell that they are in an argument, they are in a contestation, they are in resistance to God. They are arguing with the Lord. He's saying, do this, but they are doing this. He says, do this. They are always doing something else in the opposite of what they are being told, which is a constant rebellion, constant resistance, inertia to change, the heedlessness, disobedience, arguments, and contestation with the Lord. The same thing happened at this time. And so the people in Israel we saw in that book of Malachi, as we now pulled out a decayed life that the Lord resented with the church in Laodicea, and the things that shut down the revival fire in the hearts of the church, we saw that God's people were going through a most abhorrible degradation and degeneration. Apostasy was in the land, and that apostasy had eaten into the religious life of the people. So their relationship with Yahweh was affected, because you know the Lord is holy. Their economic life was shattered, you know. Everything was headed south. Their social life was broken. A lot of immorality in the land. They oppressed the poor. There was so much divorce. They were marrying the communities around them. The girls and the women in the neighboring communities realized that they were porous. They had fallen. They were immoral. They were lustful. So they began to come for them as they began to divorce their wives openly. And they were openly living secular lives. And the people of God settled into a life of apostasy. That is a tragedy we looked at when we expounded on the matters and the issues that arose from the church in Odessa, but using the book of Malachi chapter 1. And we see that there is a direct importation from there. Because in the time of Israel, as they were doing this, little did they know that the neighboring communities, the, the nations, the Gentiles, were waiting for Israel to get her act together, that they too may benefit, may benefit from the grace that was promised in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. The promise given Abraham when he said he would bless Israel, give them land, give them a great name, he would defend them, security of the state, anyone who attacks you, I'll attack him, curse you, I'll curse him. And then, however, he said also, in that covenant, the Lord Jehovah Yahweh said to Abraham that I'll use you, through you, I'll bless the nations. So as Israel was going through such an abhorrible decay, a serious degeneration and degradation, little did they know that, as a matter of fact, outside the communities, the nations, the Gentiles, were waiting for them to get their act together so that God may roll out his plan and purposes for all the nations. And we see the same thing here today, that today's life is full of apostasy. The world has never fallen the way she has fallen today. There is so much sin everywhere. Every direction you look, there is unbelief. Today, the economic life has been degraded today. That's why they earn, but they feel like they're not earning enough. The corruption of the present society, the social life that you see today is similar to the degradation that was happening to Israel. Because there is immorality here today, all over the earth, oppression of the poor, divorces are rampant, the marrying of, you know, marrying from the unborn again and all that, this cross marriage to other communities that was prohibited under them. And for the church too, the Lord says, uh, how can righteousness 
be yoked together with wickedness. How can a believer be yoked together with an unbeliever? But today they have traversed. Hmm? They don't respect the Lord. They are living open secular lives in the church. They are living unmarried, but living together. Eh? There is homosexuality all over, abortion, you know. So the, the present day church has also settled into a life of apostasy just the same way Israel had settled. And in this age also, the Lord has been counting on the church that when the church gets her act together and revival come, now he can reach out. He can reach the unborn again. I thank God in this ministry that is what is happening. You see, big avalanche. That's why we have swamped. People are crossing. People are coming from the streets. People are leaving alcohol and coming. They are leaving immorality and coming. They are saying, I listened to the word. I saw the cripples. I want to be born again. I want to join the church. But the, the church should have known that the Lord is waiting for her to get her act together so that he can reach the rest of the world, the unborn again. So the unborn again are waiting for the church. People are drinking in the bars, people in the brothels, people in immorality, in the secular life, waiting for hope. There is no hope. Only Jesus is the hope of this world. And that's why this situation is repeating itself in such an unbelievable manner. And you saw that things were not well at all. That people's hopes were dashed because when they were coming from exile back to the promised land, they were saying that the prophecies of the prophets of Israel will now be fulfilled. That the Messiah would now be their ruler. No nation will attack them again. Hmm? But this hope dwindled away because they failed to focus on the most important. Because in the first place, with the covenant of Abraham in place where he promised security and blessings, how did they end up in Babylon? And that's why even this age has to always remember that sin has always become the greatest undoing, the greatest destruction of the relationship between man and God. And yet the nations were waiting for Israel to get her act together and bring them the salvation, the God of Israel, the same thing today. So it is on this day. The church has today settled into sin. And yet the Lord is saying, I have loved you. I have loved you. The same thing he was telling Israel, I have loved you. But it's as though the church is asking, how have you loved us? The same question Israel asked. The Lord is saying to the church today, I have loved you. The nations are waiting for the church to get it together so they can bring them the salvation of the Lord. When you see the way they dress, the way they talk, the way they live their lives, as though they are contesting God, they are asking the Lord, but how have you loved us? Huh? They are not accepting the love. And the Lord is saying, no, the election. And he says here, in the book of Malachi that we saw, we saw the book of Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord of hosts. But you ask, how have you loved us? And then he says, was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his mountains into wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Adam may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish they will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. Verse 5 of Malachi 1. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. And I said verse 5 was the promise that the Lord gave Abraham when he said, That through you I will bless all the nations of the earth. Through you I will bring the Messiah. Through you, I'll bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
So this is verse 5 where it says, You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. That is the gospel of grace that he's talking about there. That's what we saw, blessed people. And we saw very clearly in the scriptures that we read on that day that as we are talking about the rapture of the church, the need for preparedness, that there is need to understand how to prepare, that you may prepare well. In other words, he's saying that the biggest tragedy that can ever befall anyone, the biggest tragedy that can ever befall the church or any human being, is to live your life thinking you're going to heaven. And then when that day comes, find that you find that you have entered hell. Isn't that where the church is today? And this has been the perpetual struggle. Israel were living as though they are headed to heaven, they are headed to the Father. Their, their own notion, their own format of how to go into the kingdom of glory, how to get to the Father in heaven, they were keeping the books, the Torah, the words, the scriptures of the Torah, without knowing that the Lord had sent a mediator, the Jewish Messiah. So they were living their lives thinking they are going to heaven, and yet they were rejecting the Messiah. And the same thing is happening in this present day, and that's why I'm saying the biggest calamity and tragedy that can ever befall man, a human being, is to live your life on the earth here thinking you're going to heaven, and then on that day be disappointed and thrown into hell. And that's why these conversations we are having and this study, extensive study we are having, is very key, very, very instrumental, blessed people. And we saw in the book of Ephesians, we saw right away in Ephesians, turn with me if you have the opportunity, Ephesians chapter 1. We went straight to Ephesians chapter 1. And we read verses 4 and 5, which say, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Again, he chose us before the creation of the world. That is the election, because Jacob was told, Israel was told, I have loved you. And they contested the Lord. The same thing you see today. They live their lives in total resistance and contestation against the Lord. The same thing you see in the present day church. The Lord is saying, I have loved you. But she's living her life as though, how have you loved us? Leave me alone. Let me live my life. I don't see that love. And so living in heedlessness, hmm? living in rebellion. For Israel, he took her back to the womb. He said, why are you not twins? Why are you not two in that womb? Even before you came, you were placed into that womb. I had already chosen you. That's an election. I had elected you to be my elect already. Right from the beginning, before you even appeared, before I placed you in your mama's womb, I had elected you. So what is this you're asking me? How have you loved that? And he says, didn't Esau come from the same womb with you? And yet Esau have hated, have hated even when they went, when they were taken with the Israelites into Babylonian captivity. Esau, most of them did not even come back. And the few that settled around Petra, the Jordan, another tribe from Saudi Arabia came and attacked them, fulfilled these words. You, you can rarely trace them. And so the Lord was saying, no, if you give me time, I'll explain to you how I love you. They were busy contesting and saying, no, what is there about the promise of Abraham, the covenant of Abraham in all this slavery in Babylon, sitting by the rivers of Babylon, and our captors are asking us to play joyful songs for them when they are sitting with their families, wives, and children. Hmm? What is there about the covenant of Abraham in that suffering and slavery and captivity? Little did they know the consequences of sin is what led them there. So they were busy arguing with the Lord. How have you loved us? The same thing with the church. Look at now. 
the book of Ephesians chapter 1, 4 and 5, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be a holy and to be holy and blameless in his sight. And he set forth the benchmark right there, the standard, that this election is based on us also obeying the command, obeying the provisions of this election to be holy and blameless. But he chose us right before he created the earth as a church. And that is such an awakening that should really stir up each Christian to cause them now to seek more, how to draw closer to the Lord. He already chose you in his sight. In love, he predestined us to the adoption, to be adopted as sons through Christ Jesus the Lord in accordance with his pleasure and will and to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us and the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sin, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. So it's a very powerful conversation because it draws the whole spectrum of the mission of the Christ, the mission of the gospel. And it says all the way until the marriage of heaven and earth, when finally the new heaven is formed, the new earth is formed, the new city of Jerusalem. He has said everything here. So the election was not just for here, for you to live on the earth, but there is a purpose. You are elected to the kingdom of glory. And we also say in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that the church in like manner has been elected. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, blessed people, on our daily bread this tremendous Tuesday, Romans 5, 8, he says the following. He says, Romans 5, 8, he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is such a beautiful, beautiful scripture that really talks about God's election. The fact that God has chosen this elect, chosen the church, the believer, the Christian. Because he says that even while we were still sinners, he already elected us, he chose us, and lavished us with this wonderful grace where Christ Jesus, the Son of God himself, would now have to come and die for us. So, so it's not based on your works. This is the same election he's talking about here. But instead, when he said, I love you, I have loved you to Israel, what happened? They met him with arrogance, arguments, contestation, disobedience, abuse, almost blackmail. Hmm? But that is the same response you're seeing from the present day church. You're seeing that even as the Lord comes out to say, I have chosen you, I have elected you. How have they responded the Lord? Arrogance, arguments, contestation, human wisdom, philosophy, theology, trying to box God, to, to, un to, to, un to understand God. As if to elucidate God. And in Romans chapter 9, 10, 13 we saw, as we begin this evening bread tonight, Romans 9, 10, 13, he said, the following, and we are fighting darkness here. We are outside here. 
He says, not only that, Rebecca's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet, before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So this is very powerful, blessed people. Again, we saw how it opens up into the realm of God's election. And so, the correction that Israel was going through, as I navigate this part out, the correction Israel was going through, if you see the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the book of Second Timothy, there's a lot of scriptures. We can begin from Hebrews chapter 12. The correction that the Lord was bringing to Israel, and she's fighting him. She's fighting. She's not seeing the value of that correction. Isn't that what you're seeing in the present day church? When the Lord sent me to bring repentance, repentance, there are people, you know the flesh, once the carnality grows, there are people who feel that, you know, it's painful, you know, you know repentance is so painful. And yet it's such love. Hebrews twelve eleven it says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Again, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained in it. So he's talking about the beauty of this discipline that the Lord is passing Israel through, that the fruit of that discipline is going to be this wonderful harvest, the fruits of righteousness that is good for Israel. Because like you saw in the election I read for you from the book of Ephesians chapter 1, 4 down, you can see that that election the church has is for entering the new Jerusalem. It does not just end on the earth here. It's not for living on the earth here. Obvious, obvious. When you live your life on the earth as a Christian, born again, there are benefits. You live a better life, a better quality life. You're not going to be found in the bars. You're not going to be found in wherever. You know, all those places of violence or what. You are very calculated. You are restrained in the way you live. It is obvious there are benefits, but I read for you that he planned it for the adoption of sonship, adoption of son, when now there will be the union, unification of heaven and earth without sin. The marriage, the marriage supper of the Lamb, marriage of the Lamb is really literally heaven and earth marrying, heaven and earth being under one God now. Finally, the earth has been purged. Even the millennium has taken place. We are talking about the new earth, and the new heaven and new earth. So the, the, the discipline that the Lord brings to the church, the repentance, that you see uh, some, some people feel it's too painful to be rebuked. When, when it's so much love to be rebuked, he's saying it bears the fruit of righteousness, which is the longevity of your Christianity into eternity, the imperishability of the Christian, of the church, comes out of this righteousness, that is harvested from discipline. Repentance is discipline. Telling you to turn away from sin. Sin will harm you. The devil is lying to you. You will end up, he wants you to end up in hell with him. And so when you look at Proverbs chapter 3, uh, this discipline, as we are starting our session today, and I'm fighting light here, the darkness is coming very fast because we are out, but you see very clearly here, it's talking about the value of this discipline that Israel is resenting. That how have you loved us? We've just come from Babylon. You threw us into Babylon. 
But he tells them, no, 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 give, give me a moment. If you give me time, I'll explain to you how I've loved you. Wasn't Esau in the same warmth as you? Isn't Esau your brother? How come you, before you were even placed in the womb, I loved you? And Esau have laid to waste. His land is laid to waste. They say it shall be known as the land of the wicked. And when you look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11, verses 11 and 12, it says, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord, the Lord disciplines only those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord only disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. So, so you see, they misconstrued it. The devil lied to them. In the same way in the church today, when I come rebuking sin, when I strike the earth with the coronavirus to discipline the entire earth, when I strike Haiti, when I strike Chile, when I strike Nepal, and I strike Japan, and I strike Mexico, Mexico, they were worshipping Santa Muerte, which is death. Satan. Chile, they are worshipping Satan. When I struck Peru, they were doing human sacrifice. When I struck Haiti with this monumental earthquake, they are worshipping the devil there. It's devil worship pure. When I struck Nepal, they are worshipping Buddhism, Hinduism. When I struck Yushu, China, and Taiwan, it's Buddhism. When I struck Japan, it's Buddhism. When I struck Pakistan, it is Islam, the idol of Islam, idol worship. And the purpose the Lord is doing this is to discipline, to sieve out, in order to get a holy church, to get a people going to heaven, that you may understand the mission of God, the message of God, the purposes of God for creation. You can see the Lord is beginning to reinstate his purposes for creation. That's why he's bringing judgment. If that is what it will take to bring you back. And so he's saying, My son, do not despise the discipline of the Lord. Don't. Because the Lord only disciplines those he loves. He wants you to enter the kingdom of glory. And if you go to Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 4, as we begin this daily bread tonight, Second Timothy chapter four, blessed people. Second Timothy four. He says the following. Second Timothy chapter four, three and five. We get there and read. He says the following. Three and five. I need to get it, then I read it. He says for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, and do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. It says the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but that time is here. That is what Israel could not put up with when the prophets were telling her to repent, to turn away from sin, and to realize that God is holy. And to realize that the life of sin ends up in judgment of God and hell. That reality was being brought to her all the time by the devoted, obedient servants of God, the prophets of Yahweh. 
But this generation also has received the prophets of the Lord. And they are telling us the esoteric, unchangeable truth that repentance and the turning away from sin is the only way to redeem this generation. That you must return to the salvation of righteousness and holiness to be born again properly for the kingdom of God is near and the kingdom of God will not take sinners, sinful people, will take only those who are obedient to God's ordinances, God's command of holiness. The Bible even elaborates and says, for without holiness, nobody will see the Lord. So he says it very clear here that what was disturbing Israel is that they wanted to gather unto themselves preachers that will preach things that are soothing to their ears, soothing to their sinful hearts, their corrupt hearts. But isn't that what is happening today? Today also, when I brought them repentance, they claim they don't want repentance. They want a sweeter gospel. They say he's rebuking us too much. He's rebuking. But look now. The cripples are walking. The benefit has been laid to bear, laid openly before you. And he's saying, beyond the benefits of the cripples walking, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the mute speaking, there is the eternity, the eternity. I have come to announce to you that the kingdom of God is near. Eternity is at hand. That you may prepare, blessed people. And so, as we finish this first part, I want to take a short break as uh, Senior Ransom and Kennedy will play some worship songs and uh, open up a little discussion on this first part, maybe 15 minutes, because, you know, and then I'll come back with the second part now. There's the substance. This was just an introduction, a recap, but now I'll come back with the substance of the bread for this day. May the Lord bless you, even as you continue feeding on this daily bread in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus loves you. Amen. Uh, Senior Pastor Ransom, again, blessed people, I know our time is running out for the evening bread. Time is always not on our side. Well, uh, we we have seen right now the importance of the Lord perpetually and continually coming to a generation and to be able to encourage them that they may be regenerated by the blood of Jesus, that they may repent, that uh, they may be born again. And we've seen that the intent and purpose of doing that is eternity, eternity with God, to live with God forever, the eternal kingdom of God. In other words, the election that you have before the earth was created was essentially meant to select, it was a selection of those treasured few, I mean, I don't know what number, but those treasured ones who will be the citizens of the coming kingdom of God. And so it should not have ever been met with the kind of contestation, argument, arrogance, uh, and, 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 and fights and resistance, disobedience that it has should never have featured at all because you we should have understood. This generation should have understood the church, even Israel, that the Lord was simply preparing the citizens of his coming kingdom. And it's amazing because he did not take all his creation. He says, Esau, he hated. And Esau here now, when you translate it to the church, stands for all those Christians, because they come from the same womb, the churches that have refused repentance, the churches that have refused to purge, the church, I'm talking about the church, the church that has refused righteousness, the church that has refused holiness, has refused to rebuke sin. They cannot rebuke sexual sin. They have refused to rebuke the love of money, the abortion, the homosexuality, morality, whatever that's happening, the love of money, the corruption hmm, in the church. And that's why you see right now the Lord is not in those churches. He's not inside those churches. He is not there. So Esau here speaks so much to you. You remember Korah and his team, the rebellious team that was swallowed by the earth from within the Israelites. 
And so the, the Lord is talking about the church. The wise virgins, the foolish virgins. And the foolish virgins go to hell. So Esau here speaks so much. And so this selection and election of God was for a select number. You that are born again chosen. That you may be the citizen of that glorious eternal kingdom of Yahweh. It should have been met with love, obedience, joy, yielding. Paying attention to God, great consideration over, over his decree, consideration of God. And so, I know that our time has run out, but it's very important to put everything into context. It's very, very key, it's going to be very central that everything be contextualized. Mm-hmm. All this is being said to you in the context of the kingdom of God to come. The eternity with God, the new Jerusalem, the new earth, the new heaven, new earth, should bring in greater gravity in your heart, blessed people, on the need to hearken to this Christian salvation of righteousness. And we have seen that the Lord is travailing, is suffering, is long suffering with you, that you may get back to the original purposes. He says, but I've loved you, how come you can't see this? How come you can see that I've not chosen everybody for my kingdom, but I've chosen you for this salvation of the grace? How come you can't honor it? And so, to contextualize it, to put it into context, we saw that this kind of information is what is meant to awaken the soul of the church, the soul of the believer, to rekindle into your hearts and souls the need now to take your Christianity more seriously. This was meant to light up your hearts and souls that now you may take your Christian salvation a little bit more seriously now with greater consideration for the Lord. Because he's saying that in this coming kingdom, in this coming rapture of the church, that there are key things that will matter most. The new birth, the new creation that comes from salvation. He said you have to really be born again and produce the fruit of repentance, the fruit of salvation, blessed people. You must be born again. You must be regenerated by the blood of Jesus, by the salvation of repentance, the salvation of righteousness, the salvation of the grace, Salvation of mercy that has been placed before you. He's emphasizing the new creation. That if the church is born again, then there must be a new creation percolating from there with the fruits, the fruits of salvation, the fruits of repentance, the fruits of the Spirit. And even key to it now, in what we have discussed until now, is that anyhow, the Lord is running a calendar. If you read the book of Daniel chapter 9, which I've read again and again, and it says from verse 24, that 77 are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression and to put to an end sin, to atone for wickedness. That atoning was done when Christ walked into Jerusalem and was crucified, to bring everlasting righteousness and to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place, to anoint the most holy. So, so there is so much there. The setting up of the post-tribulation temple, the tribulation temple being purged, being reconsecrated, after rebellion is purged, and then the anointed one sitting in there now. So all these things are made to roll out. But now we are in the gap between the 69th week of Daniel and when the 70th week begins to run, and that is the mystery I read for you in the book of uh, Ephesians, he, he says the mystery now has been revealed to you. This is the mystery that the church was not mentioned when the, the, the angel Gabriel, the angel the Lord sent to me that spoke with me at the time I was handling the book of Daniel. You people have been ministered by the angel of the Lord himself, coming all the way to the archangel, speaking with me, and then I came to you. 
But when the angel Gabriel came to Daniel, he said, Thy people and thy city. So there was no mention of the Gentile church. That's why it's a mystery because when he reached the seventh, the sixth ninth, sixth ninth week, then Christ made a final entry, triumphant entry to Jerusalem, and he was slaughtered on the cross. He was nailed on the cross to complete this prophecy. Some of them are not completed. When you read Daniel chapter 9, verses 24, 27, some of them have not been finished. Because he says, for example, 25, he says, Know and understand, know and understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, come, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. That's a total of sixty-nine. Remaining one week, then your seventieth week. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble, after sixty-two seven, the anointed one will be cut off. That's the Messiah being crucified. Look at what happens after he's cut off, and will have nothing. Meaning he will still not take the kingdom at that time. And the people of the ruler will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolation will have, that has been decreed, rather. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, that's the seven that's remaining, that is not his counting. He has not pressed Kidwide, he has not pressed the button to start the countdown, he's waiting for you. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering. Set up the abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. That is the double-edged sword that you see the Messiah coming with in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 15, verse 13, the red robe, and 15. And you see Revelation chapter 20 now, that's the finality, finality, finality. Now verses 11 all the way to 15. But that's also the book of Isaiah 63 when it's coming from Bozra to come and totally neutralize the rebellion and the earth. But he's saying that you have been elected. I love you. I have loved you. And this is the window before he begins the countdown to finish the, the, the judging of the rebellion of Israel, before he begins the redemption of Israel, the salvation of Israel. If you go to the book of Romans, the book of Romans 11, Look at what it says, Romans chapter 11. Romans 11, 25, if you turn with me there, it says, again, Romans 11, Romans 11, 25, it says the following. It says, Romans 11, 25, it says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the mystery, that mystery I've talked about, the general church, hmm? brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. For it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. So there is the mission and the purposes of God for Israel. And that's why the Lord is saying, look, I have elected you, the church. I have selected you. Rebuke is good. It is the purging of sin. It is the purification, the sanctification. You are going through now the separation from the decay of the world with the harvest of righteousness that increases your longevity as a church, that imparts eternity into your Christianity. And so, even as I finish... I want to finish with the following, that it lays emphasis on the new, new creation that comes out of salvation, that now you rather begin to live your life in the new creation, the regenerated you, the, the regeneration that takes place in the life of the believer, all into the status of the blood of Jesus washing you, the new creation, and that God will establish his kingdom. God will begin to roll out Daniel's 70th week, all this is a cascade 
of God moving towards establishing his kingdom. And that for you believers in the rapture as we saw, if you die now, that death is considered sleep because the most important is the kingdom. If you have been selected for the kingdom, elected. That, and, and that fact that you go, you're going to sleep when you die and that you don't, uh, you, you're not lost is what now brings to the fore the fact that the soul never dies. So you should be taking care of your eternity where your soul will live. Where will your soul live? You should be taking care of where your soul will live. That's what the Lord is telling us, that the soul lives forever. But the devil wants to lie to you, delude you, that you may, you may waste your time. And he says in the book of Isaiah 14, verse 9, he says, The grave below is all after to meet you. That you are coming. It rouses the spirit of the departed to greet you. All who were leaders in the world, it makes them rise from their throne. All those who were kings over the nation. He's saying, the soul, when you die, the soul does not die. And so the Lord is saying there is a cascade. The rapture will take place. We've seen the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 1. We've seen 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. We've seen 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, 50 to 58. We've seen John, chapter 14, verses 1 to verse 6, where he ends up by saying, I am that way. I am the way. You saw the dilemma of the Sanhedrin. In our Sunday service, finally Peter tells them, that man, that guy you killed, he alone is the way to the Father. Only he is the way. For there is no other name given unto man by heaven, by which man must be saved, must reach the Father. You saw the dilemma. You saw when the Sanhedrin had set up a judgment, they want to, to, to judge, they, they want now to prosecute and judge, uh, Peter and John for raising a cripple and then filled with fire Peter turns the tables on them and passes judgment on them the Jesus that you killed you people killed Jesus he is the cornerstone of Zion he's not supporting Zion now he's the one alone through whom now anyone can enter heaven including you then Peter turns it and passes judgment on the Sanhedrin so blessed people let us be cognizant of the hour and the requirements of God for the hour. And he says, we need to be awake to the fact that time is over. Soon there will be a shout in the sky here. And then the church will be caught up in rapture. Those who are prepared will be caught up in rapture. That the Lord is anyhow in the process of establishing his kingdom. You can see the coronavirus and everything happening. You can see how the earth is changing. You can see the superpowers were shaken by these two prophets speaking with you. The superpowers, America, shaken by coronavirus. Every nation is shaken. The whole earth is shaken. The Lord has begun to roll out a process towards installing and establishing his kingdom. That process will run on anyhow. And that's why when you look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, he promised to establish that kingdom. Isaiah, chapter 9, if you read verse 6, he says, he says, For unto us a child is born, to us a child a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne, the throne of his father David, and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, 
Then he says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That is the kingdom of God that is coming. That is the prophecy about this coming kingdom and this kingdom's king that is coming, the Messiah. So that process will roll out. You like it or not. And that's why the clarion call now to repent is very powerful. Look at Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will, will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Look at the sevenfold spirit, I mean the sevenfold facets of the Holy Spirit. The sevenfold instruments of the Holy Spirit. He begins to lay them out there. Number one, the Spirit of Wisdom will rest on him. Spirit of Understanding. Spirit of Counsel, number three. Spirit of Power, number four. Spirit of Knowledge, number five. Spirit of the Fear of the Lord. Huh? Again, let me read it here for you. He says, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, fear of God, and you delight in the fear of God. It should be sevenfold. I'll be able to bring it to you. But, the, but you see the workings of the Holy Spirit, how he will govern. The Lord is trying to give us a little glimpse of how he will govern that kingdom. And he goes on to say, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Then verse 5, he says, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Then he says, the leopard will lie down. So he's now talking about of the peace that will reign there. Conflict is finished. He will bring a reconciliation upon creation. Then he, the, the emulation of that is that a leopard will lie down with a goat, a calf with the lion and the yearlings together. A little child will lead them and the cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together and the lion will eat the straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. The young child puts his hand in the viper's nest they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. That is very powerful. That's a whole sermon. We don't have time for it. But he's using that to postulate for you, to project for you, to be able to give you a glimpse of the greater kingdom of peace that is coming. The peace indescribable, the peace of God that surpasses human comprehension, human understanding, where a child will play with a cobra, in the cobra near the cobra's nest, eh? where the lion, the leopard will play with, with a young goat or a sheep, a young sheep. The Lord using that to tell you that he will finally reconcile creation and deliver forth the purposes of God. He will kill rebellion. He will destroy, vanquish. He will neutralize rebellion and quench it out. And so that's why it's very important that this generation will put into great consideration the fact that they need to prepare for that kingdom that is coming. And the only way to prepare is to be born again properly. And once you are born again, to live a regenerated life, to be regenerated in other words, to bear the fruit of salvation, the fruit of repentance, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of holiness, the fruit of mercy, the fruit of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God is calling you, therefore, into a life of being born again, receiving a new nature, receiving a new heart. He's calling you into a life of being born again, a new being of you. The book of Second Peter, 
I know our time is over because I'm running into a meeting here. So, uh, but the book of Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, we could continue this conversation with the daily bread. Oh, how I wish I can do it Monday, Tuesday, and then we cover a little bit more. But it says here, the book of Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Through this, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that them, okay, through this, through this, he has given us his great and precious promises, so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by the evil desires of the flesh. Again, I'm talking about the regenerated you, the regenerated nature. He's talking about the new nature you should have, the divine nature that has escaped the corruption of this world and the evil desires that cause them. So the Lord is exhorting you and encouraging the generation, calling out to a people and saying, let us now be born again. Let us live a regenerated life, a Christian salvation that is absolutely commensurate with the price that was paid, the salvation that we received that was paid for at such a horrendous price. And he's saying in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2.16, 1 Corinthians chapter 2.16, he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That is the regenerated nature. That is the regenerated you. That is the born-again Christian. Because he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. The new you that is born again has to be significantly different from the you that was in the world. You cannot still be in the corruption, proud, fraudulent behavior, lying to people, taking money here, doing what where immorality where, laughing at women where, lying, give me this amount of money, I'll return to you. Give me this amount, collecting money as though you are not born again. And yet he's saying we should exude the regenerated nature. And in that nature, he says, we have the mind of Christ, meaning a parched mind, a renewed mind, a divine nature. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 4, rather. Ephesians 4, as I finish now because of time, I'm running down into... Uh, the final phase of this. So he says here, I'm running into a meeting here, so I need to finish with this one. He says Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24, look at what he says here. Again, 22 to 24 he says, he says here, you were told, you were told with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your mind. And put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. So, blessed people, I want to finish there, but you can see the powerful bread, the evening bread that comes to you. Where the Lord, in all these conversations has really centered righteousness and holiness as the instruments of the new self, the regenerated you. They are the fruit of the new believer, the born again, the new creation. And that for the rapture, the new creation is absolutely so central. And that's why the mere announcement that the Messiah is coming, I have seen the rapture of the church, should rekindle the urge, the urge to live a new creation to live a regenerated life. It should cause you to take your Christian salvation now more seriously. May the Lord bless you. Thank you indeed. For those who have received the Lord now globally, I'll give you a chance again. Repeat after me. I have only one minute. Say, mighty Lord Jesus, I repent and turn away from sin, and I receive you straight into my heart. 
as my Lord and my Savior. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, to create a new creation in me, create a new being in me, the divine nature that is in the mind of the Christ, the new nature that is purged from corruption, that has purged of corruption, create in me a new creation, a regenerated Christian, a regenerated being, and maintain my feet steadfastly on this road, the road of righteousness, the, the path of righteousness, the path of holiness, that I may enter your eternal glorious kingdom. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.